Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Hello, my friends. How are you today? I am so excited to be here with you. I have such a, an exciting story to share with you. I'm going to talk about what success really looks like without the fairy godmother. I love to talk about the fairy godmother. I guess Cinderella is my favorite Disney fairy tale growing up. So I'm going to be talking about that. But before we get there, a couple of things. I'm going to introduce myself real quickly because I have been doing the show since 2006 and maybe you just found me. I know I have really loyal listeners who've been listening for years and it's crazy to think that I started this show in 2006. So I've been doing it for 12 and a half years to even think if I had known back then that I would be doing the show for 12 and a half years, I would have said, there's no way because back then I was so worried about who can I interview that will fill up the live 30 minute radio show full with talking. And if somebody had said, but Corinne, later on, you're going to be doing your own shows where you will do all the talking. I would have probably just quit and not done it then. So I'm so glad that I took the small steps to be where I am today. So my name is Corinne Modakaitis. And like I said, I've been doing this show since 2006. I'm a life and leadership coach. And I'm also the executive director of a local nonprofit in my town. I live in Northern California in this awesome town called Davis, California. I love, love, love it here. And for years, I interviewed all sorts of people, thought leaders, authors, uh, my favorite columnist from the Wall Street Journal, TV personalities, people who had their stories that we can learn from. Because one of the things that I've always loved is learning from other people's stories. So even when I was in third grade, I would love to go... It was library day at school. And my favorite section was always the biography section. I loved reading about people's lives because I felt if I can get a glimpse into their life, what nuggets could I take and then apply to my own? Now, granted, when I was eight years old, those weren't the words that I used, but I just was compelled. I was looking for more information. And when I started this show in 2006, I felt like a big fat failure and I was trying to pursue life balance as a mom and having a blended family and four kids and just struggling and working. And I wanted a show that could help give me the information so I could do a better job. And I was really in pursuit of life balance. And that's got to be another show because I don't believe in life balance. But I started the show and I brought in all these different people and interviewed them and it was fantastic. And then you guys asked for more things of what I do and what I offer. And a lot of times I come in here with either tools that I use with my clients. There's themes that go on throughout the week that I'm coaching the clients. And so I bring it here with you because not everybody's going to have the opportunity to be coaching with me and I integrate it. And from time to time, I'll go back and do some interviews, but there's over 600 shows on the website at howshereallydoesit.com and iTunes and all the different podcast directories where there's great content and a lot of it is evergreen. I would say probably 60 to 75% of it is evergreen. Evergreen means 
it's all common. It's something that can be reused. It was just as good in 2009 as it is in 2019. And I'm really fortunate. There's a couple of interviews that I should probably recirculate in here. It's from Dr. David Hawkins. He's no longer, unfortunately, with us. But those were fantastic interviews that I got the opportunity early on to interview him. So I'd highly recommend going in, listening to that. He wrote a book called Power Versus Force. His stuff is really, really high level. But if you're looking for some stuff about spirituality and about the energy we bring, it's fantastic. So go to my website, howshereallydoesit.com and type in his name, Dr. David Hawkins. And the two interviews I did with him will pull up and you can listen to them. All right. So I'm going to talk about my favorite things because... I'm pretty excited. So there's like a couple of countries that I have a huge affinity for. My favorite country in the world outside of the United States, I'm very grateful to be born and raised here. But my favorite country, one of my favorite place in the world is Canada. I love Canada. I've spent a lot of summers up in Ontario, Canada, and I just love Canadians and I love their accent and they're out. And from my experience there, I've met a lot of Australians. So I also love Australians. And one of my bucket list things to do was always to go to Australia. And it was something that I wasn't really, you know, up in my forefront and I hadn't had a plan, but this is something that I've always wanted to do. And it's great because I have all these Australian clients. So I get to coach these people from Australia. They have the great accents. I just love it. I, you know, and we have a lot of Aussie listeners. So big shout out to Aussie listeners. We have a lot of Canadian listeners as well. And this year, I'm going to be heading to Australia. So I'm totally excited. And it wasn't even something which is really great evidence for me. It wasn't even something that I had to make happen. It was something that it's happening for me. So I'm totally excited. I'm going to Australia. So knowing that I'm going to Australia, the thing that's been fascinating with my brain is my brain has been more into this Aussie thing. And in fact, I just had a new client sign and she's from Australia and I love her accent and I love, I get to coach her, but I've been noticing that I've been kind of looking for things to watch. I've kind of gone through my shows and I like to watch shows in the evenings. And you know, when you have that show, when you just can't wait to get on and, and watch maybe an episode or two episodes, thank goodness for like Netflix or Amazon prime, or, you know, one of the streaming devices, because a show can be 40 minutes instead of a full hour with commercials. And you just love it. And you're so excited. And I've over the years, I used to be a huge movie fanatic. I love film and then college and after college. And for decades, I would just want to go to the movies and watch film. But here's the thing. And this is, says a lot about me is that I really love the character exploration and the development. Like they become my friends. And so I like getting to know these people and what they go through. And so I really like these longer series And so I tend to actually like television shows more and the writing has gotten so much better than it used to be decades ago, more than movies, because movies, I'm like, I'm going to invest that time. And then after 90 minutes, this relationship's going to end. And I'm not too fond of that. I like long-term relationships. Those of you that know me totally get this. Some of you may get freaked out about this. Anyways, I noticed I started finding these Aussie film and television shows. And I actually watched an Aussie film recently. It was, it was really interesting. Some of the subject matter, I'm still kind of pondering it, but it was interesting. And I, and it was beautiful and looking at Australia and, you know, hearing my clients tell me about what Australia is. And then the story in my head of what Australia looks like and the land particularly, because most of what I've seen has always been the beaches and like the pools by the ocean. 
So there's a new show. Well, it's not new. When I went to go prepare for the show yesterday, I went and looked it up to find out more information. And I'm so bummed. There's only three seasons, you guys. I like shows that have like eight or nine because that will just keep me occupied for a while. And it was, I think, like in 2013 or so. But it's a show called Wonderland. And I like it. I mean, it's kind of, it's a rom-com. It's not huge intellectual thinking. There's no sabotage. There's no deception. There's nothing that's going to make my heart raise. There's no spy thriller. And I think right now I'm just kind of looking for something gentle about relationships and connection. And, you know, it's kind of my, my ideal world and maybe my husband's, you know, not ideal world, but basically they all live in this building. There's a bunch of friends. They all have their own flat. So kind of think of like, you know, our 1990s friends television show that my children have now watched and gone through and learned from that experience or not learned from that experience, but, you know, been captivated by something that I watched back in the 90s and I guess early 2000s. And it's kind of being reenacted in Australia with Wonderland. So I love, love, love that show. So if you're looking for a lighthearted romantic comedy show with different couples and different relationships, it's fun. I highly recommend it. And one of the things that I sometimes get frustrated with is the shows that when the characters, they just create so much drama and self-sabotage. And I just often think it's so unnecessary. There's some shows and I'm not going to speak to them or criticize them here that I do like. And then sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, this is being redundant. And, you know, they're doing stuff and they're just getting in their own way and they're puffing up. And, and sometimes I just laugh because I think that, they are creating these stories in their head instead of actually having the courageous conversations that I talk about. You know, if they would just apply these tools, our lives would be so much better. And of course, right? Like part of me is in my brain thinking they need to write me in so I can coach them. Not that I want to be on television because I don't. It's not a dream of mine. But I think about that. And then I get a bit frustrated. And then, so then sometimes that's when I move over to nonfiction books or I look for other things because I understand that the writing is about creating the tension, but sometimes it just becomes too much. So while I can like a drama or a thriller, not, I don't like thrillers, but you know, I like action films and stuff or TV shows right now. It's so awesome to be in a rom-com and I'm just having a great time with it. And the other thing is, is that when I think about like, so one of my girlfriends, she writes for television shows and she would probably be like shaking her head, like, come on, Corinne, there's this way that we write because if we wrote about everything being great, nobody would be interested. And I really challenge that. Like my dream is like, okay, I want to know the happily ever after right? Cinderella and Prince Charming get married. And then what happens? What are the real struggles? You know, what are the things that go on? That's what like actually interests me versus the heightened, you know, out of the ordinary struggles, but like the day-to-day struggles. I would be interested in that. And maybe that's just because of my perspective of I've always been interested in other people's journeys so I can learn from them. When I know that other people can struggle with their spouse's travel or, you know, uh, when I was a young mom back in the day, prior, I think, no, yes, prior to starting the show, you know, my husband was traveling a lot and coaching a lot and, and my own struggle. And so I sought out, you know, some of the Olympic coaches, their wives, I wanted to meet with them and how did they do and how were they able to have a strong marriage for so many years and decades when in this profession, there's a high divorce rate. So I looked for that and I went and sought that out. And that's what I've always brought to you guys is my seeking out and I brought it here. 
So anyways, that's my little soapbox about television shows. If you're interested, if you like Aussie stuff, go check it out. I really love the characters. It's been fun and I'm not done. All right. So today I'm talking about what success really looks like without the fairy godmother. So here's the thing. I work with clients on a year-long basis, and the reason for it is it goes back to this whole fairy godmother thing. So often, we want transformation to happen in bippity-boppity-boo. Bippity-boppity-boo. Like, here you go. Here's my problem. Three sessions later, it's all gone. What I have found is that is not how, because I work with people on a performance level, all levels, whether they're little kids in swimming, adults, whether I'm leading my team, you know, leading employees, leading parents, transformation takes time. And it's not a direct correlation to how intelligent you are. I work with really, really smart people, right? Lots of people with PhDs, you know, medical degrees, engineers, all these really, really smart people going to the best schools and they can struggle with implementing change. So you're not the only person and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Transformation takes time. And I see the same thing happen with the Aqua Monsters, the local nonprofit. It's a swim team and parents start to want us to be able to teach their kid how to swim. Like in a month, it doesn't happen that way. It takes time. And I explained to them, it's about a hundred to 150 hours to be proficient in swimming. So with my clients that I work with and I get the privilege to partner with them because oftentimes I'm their confidant. I mean, just this week, one of my clients, she said, Corinne, you know, you are the person that knows this stuff and she's highly successful and she has her own doubts. She has her own, you know, stuff that she rumbles with. And if she didn't have this time that we have on a weekly basis, she wouldn't give herself that space to think, right? Because we're often, especially with my female clients, we have been culturally programmed to take care of other people over taking care of ourselves. So a lot of times my clients with me is that by having this partnership, they're able to dedicate this time for themselves that they wouldn't honor without it because there's other boundaries. There's other family needs. There's, you know, business needs. There's business meetings that are constantly like, oh, well, I guess I can do my thing later. So I wanted to share with you the story of my client and I asked for her permission. I'm not going to go into specifics in terms of her name or what company she works for just to protect her identity. And that could be her story to share. But I love her story so much because this is great evidence about it's not the fairy godmother and I'm definitely not the fairy godmother. So first is I want to explain what coaching is. So, cause oftentimes people get coaching and therapy confused and intermixed. Therapy is really, really important. And for people that need to have therapy, I wholeheartedly recommend it and go do it. And their therapists are doing great work. What I do in coaching is much like what I'm doing when I'm working with an athlete I'm working with people who are able-bodied, able mind. And what we're doing is we're focusing on moving forward. Now, sometimes some of the, you know, our family of origin stuff comes up, but we don't spend a lot of time going into there. It's about what are our limiting beliefs and our limiting beliefs are what are these stories that we tell ourselves that just get us stopping. So like one of my limiting beliefs that I didn't uncover for a long time was I'm a loser from loser street. That's what I really believed. And it wasn't until I owned that story and I was perplexed. I couldn't say I loved myself at the time when I was owning that story, but I owned that story. And then I was brave enough to share it with some people who'd earned the right. And they looked at me very perplexed. 
like, and very confused, like, Corinne, how can you be a person who's a loser? That doesn't make any sense. But it was something I really believed. So when bad things happen, I was like, oh, well, of course that happened. I'm a loser. Or then I would expect not having good things to happen to me. So that was one of my core limiting beliefs. And I've moved through and I've dissolved that belief. But we all have limiting beliefs. Like one of my clients has a belief that everybody leaves her. And we've had to work on that because that's not true. So in coaching is we're identifying what are our limiting beliefs and the job is to own the story and to love ourselves so that you can write the next chapter of your life. The other thing that happens is my clients start to, because the area that I work with is in the area of shame resilience. And so I'm a Brene Brown trained facilitator. I've done the daring way and dare to lead trainings and I facilitate that work. And I love that work because it's research-based and this whole thing about shame, I didn't know what shame was growing up. My mom would always say, shame on you. And I'm not blaming her or anything. That's just what she did to try to ignite me to, to be better and to do better, right? Because therefore then I would be safe and successful in my life. That was her hypothesis. That was her promise. But this idea of shame is that shame is highly corrosive and it's highly destructive. And so one of the things that I help with my clients is to identify these shameful feelings. And so when I was talking about those television shows and what they're doing, a lot of the stuff, the poor behaviors, the destructiveness, you know, when they get in their own way, it's all because they're rooted in shame. I'm not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough money. There's not enough time, which is scarcity, which is shame. You know, so-and-so is better than so-and-so. That's all shame because it's compare and despair. So with my clients, we're working on this and identifying it. And it's not that like, again, I'm not the fairy godmother. So I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to wave my wand and you'll never feel it again. Cause that's not possible. That's like to say in California, we're only going to have sunshine and it's never going to rain. Even right now, Southern California, it's been raining this year. So it's about understanding what is the feeling and then how do you move through it? Like people who live, I love to use weather because it's, it can be so neutral. People who live in like the East coast, they just fascinate me. Cause I'm like, wow, they have to shovel out the snow. They, they have this whole process that I, you know, when I get ice on my windshield, I get a bit frustrated, like inconvenienced. And it's so fascinating, right? Cause it's just about the stories that we tell ourselves and how do we, what do we know and understand and how do we practice or my families who go to swim meets, like they're the newbie families that come in and go, what is this craziness? And then there's the other people who've been doing it over time and they have their systems and they have their cards and they have the way they pack their car and they have their people they sit with. So when we practice something, we get way better at it. And that's what I do with my clients is that we practice feeling our feelings. And the goal is not to not feel the bad feelings because those have messages for us, but to feel all the feelings, right? To feel the shame and understand where is that shame coming from? And is it a truthful message or is it a limiting belief? And then learning how to move through it. The other thing that I work with my clients on is letting go of having other people have power over us. We so often think that all these people have power over us and we're acting like we're eight years old when like I'm 46 or I have clients that are 55 and we worry about other people having power over us and we get really small. So this is what part of what we do in coaching is really to clear through that. The other thing that happens is we're so good at protecting ourselves that we armor up you know, and I had a client ask me this week, she's like, okay, am I gladiating? Cause she's working on a relationship. And she had told uh, her male friend that she was going to be gone to something. And so he's just going to have to figure it out. And, and we worked it out that she was kind of gladiating because it was too vulnerable to say, Hey, you're really important to me. And how can we figure out how to spend time together? 
right? So when we armor up and we gladiate to protect ourselves, we often get in our way of the thing that we want. I did this years ago. I was dating this cute British guy and I wanted to see him. And I was going to go to, what game? it was the 1992 Olympics. Was that in Spain, I think? And so I must've called him because I don't, we didn't have email back then. So I called him and I was like, Hey, I'm going to go. Do you want to go with me? And he's like, no, come visit me in the UK. And I'm like, no, come with me to Spain. And we were both like armoring up instead of like both of us saying, I want to spend time with you because what if the other person would reject us? But we were both saying, Hey, come here to spend time with each other. So that didn't go very well. And one of the things that we else we do is besides forward focus is that we work on overcoming all this damn self-sabotage. And my clients are successful on the outside. They're driven, they're hardworking, and they're overachievers, and they're exhausted, right? Because they are like, no, if I just keep working harder, then I'll finally be happy and free. Years ago, one of my clients taught me about this concept that I hadn't heard. And this is a long time ago, she told it to me, but it's the duck syndrome. And she's a Stanford grad. And I was talking to another client. They're like, oh, yes, we know them very well. This other client works down in the Silicon Valley. And the Stanford duck syndrome is that everyone is stressed out, but most of them conceal their struggles. So I want you to picture a duck they look so serene, right? They look calm. They're gliding around on the surface of the water. And it's a very calming thing. I love to watch ducks. But what you're not seeing is that their feet are frantically paddling underneath the water. And that's the idea of the Stanford duck syndrome is that the students, like I didn't go to Stanford, but this is what's been told from me to me by all my Stanford clients. And I've have quite a bit is that they're very calm on the outside. Like, oh, I got this. Like, oh yeah, I'm a straight A student. I don't really study that much. It's really easy, but they're hiding how much they're overachieving. They're hiding how hard they work. And I have some clients like this who may or may not have gone to Stanford, who people are like, wow, you're so fantastic. This is so easy. And my clients come to me because they're like, but Corinne, all I do is overwork, overprepare, and it's coming to a cost to my health. It's coming to a cost to my relationships. So if this sounds like you, let's stop being a doc and instead show up as who you are. We don't need to be messy, but we don't need to be inauthentic where we're trying to be something here and it's not who we are here and then probably dial down the overachieving. So with the work I do, I get to see people and what really goes on underwater. And a few years ago, I had this client and she's still a client of mine. We've been working together and doing some really great work. But she was really excited because there was this potential opportunity to get a promotion and become the CMO. So if you don't know what a CMO is, it's the chief marketing officer. So, you know, some of my clients, their big dream is is to get into the C-suites, right? To get into those leadership positions at the top level of their corporations. And she really, really wanted it. And she has a tendency like I do to gladiate, right? She can be really fierce because that's the way that she learned how to be powerful. She didn't want to be a weak female. And this is her way of being powerful. I get it. When I was younger, that's how I used to be. And so when I asked her why, you know, she said, well, and there were some really great answers in here. It was like, Hey, I want to challenge myself, Corinne. She believed that she could be of value and really offer stuff up for her company And she also wanted the title and status. Like when she finally got honest with herself, that was really important to her because then it was going to prove to herself that she was valuable, right? How often do we do that to ourselves? Even though she knew that she was worthy without it, 
but we can get still got caught up in that programming that we have. It's that cultural programming. The other thing was that there's this perception of security. And this is something that I do challenge my clients a lot on is this perception of security. Like, Oh, when I make more money, I'm going to be finally secure. More money equals safety. Right. And that's actually not true because there are people who can make a half million dollars a year and not be able to pay their bills. And there are people that can make, you know, 75,000 or 50,000 a year and be out of debt. So it's about what you do with the money, not necessarily how much you make. There is that it used to be, and I don't know what the number is now, but in California, if you had a family of four and you made over 75,000 a year, and these are older numbers and with housing, it may be different now, but you know, definitely not San Francisco numbers because a hundred thousand a year is the poverty line, but family of four, 75,000, you know, your increase in happiness wasn't going to go up with an increase of pay. So going back to, she wanted this promotion. She got clear about why, and then guess what happened? It didn't happen again. I'm not the fairy godmother, right? She doesn't come to me and say, this is what I want. And then I go make it happen for her. And that's when the shit show happened. She was not happy about this. There was a lot of verbal vomiting. She's a verbal processor and I'm really good at holding the container for my clients and letting them let it out because it's way better to let it out with me than when, if we were to do it, you know, in our companies, than with our family friends, because people will get tired of that. And in our companies that can be the form of self-sabotage and hence the television show dramas that I was talking about earlier. So she wasn't happy. And the things that she made it mean was she wasn't respected, that she wasn't valued, you know, and then it was like, well, screw it. I'm out. I'm going to go someplace else. I'm going to go to another job because it triggered all of her shame that she was feeling all of her unworthiness. And when we feel shame, what we try to do to disconnect from it, because it's such an awful feeling. So there's three shields. And this is from Wellesley College from the Stone Center at Wellesley College. And there's three shields. I've changed the names to hiding, numbing, right? Hiding away. I call it approval whoring. They call it moving towards and then moving against and that's the gladiating. When we just gladiate onto somebody else, it's like, you're going to try to take me down. I'm taking you down. What tends to happen for a lot of my clients, because they have social intelligence to not gladiate against their CEO, because that's not going to be great. But then they start to beat themselves up or they may with a partner or a family member really offload pain onto them and pick fights there because they're in their own struggle. So she would have arguments with her CEO, but always just in her brain. And then she would tell me these scenarios, but she never would feel good. And it was like, well, screw it. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go someplace else. Those were kind of what was going on. And we would get her to calm down and she would start to see like, Hey, this is work she loves to do. You know, she's committed to doing this. There's some great aspects about her job. And like with any job, there's some aspects eh, not so great, but for the most part, she really loved it. And she had a lot of autonomy in her current position as a director. And she had the ability to grow. He wasn't saying no, never. He just was saying this was not going to happen right now. So that was all going on she started to get refocused and said, okay, she didn't want to leave. She was wanting to stay there. And what she really wanted was that financial security. She was single. She, you know, felt a little vulnerable if she did get laid off at some point, you know, what would happen. And so she wanted to, even though she was great about putting money away for retirement and stuff, she wanted to create some more cash reserves. So what could she create? We talk 
a lot about money with my clients. And we actually talk about the dollars because money is this huge shame trigger for people. And so when you just start talking about money and you talk about dollars and it's just much more matter of fact, the shame dissipates. And then it just, they start, my clients start to understand that money is just math. It's a math problem and not like a problem, like, oh no, we have a problem, but it's just a math problem. And then we're looking for solutions. How do we want to add it up to get the number that we want? So we're able to talk about this and, you know, at first people, because we've been taught it's not okay to talk about money. I don't know where that came from, but so my clients have to overcome their resistance to talking about it, but we started talking about money. Money is a number, you know, and not making it mean more. It's not about her worthiness and it's not tied to her self-worth because we have this perception that we've been culturally programmed that money is tied to the value of other humans, but it's not money is money. It's just money. It's a math problem. So money doesn't solve your worthiness issues when it's a math problem. And really money doesn't solve your worthiness issues because our worthiness comes from inside of ourselves, not from the external. So what happened is after she didn't get the promotion she wanted, and she was really clear that, Hey, she wanted more financial security. Then it was about setting the goal and saying, okay, this is what I want to do. And this is, and, and she's like, but Corinne, I like to have my wine. I like to, you know, have a certain lifestyle that I like to lead. And I go, that's great. And how much money do you want to have? Because it's not about like, oh, I'm just going to get this job and then it's going to take care of my problems. How much money do you want to have? And so she set that number and it was a pretty high number for her. I mean, she was like, hmm, I don't know. Can I really, really achieve this? And this is when we can get in our own way. And then instead, what she did was she started tracking it. We would check in periodically. And, and so she had a goal. And at first she was kind of missing them, the monthly goals of putting it in. And, and then there's those debates of like, well, I've got this wedding, you know, in St. Bart's, do I go? But then it's going to cost us. And she did eventually go. So what happened was over the course of the year, she was able to make deliberate choices and then create the goal that she wanted. And she still didn't get the promotion that year, but she got the money in her savings account. And then she had another financial goal was she wanted to get a raise, right? And she wanted to make a certain dollar amount. And here's the thing. She got it, but she wasn't happy about it. So now we're fast forward the next year and she's like, well, this is what happened, but I'm not happy about it because some of it came in bonus money and some of it came in base salary. And this is again, where we can get our own way because we're like, but wait, it's supposed to happen in this manner, not in this. And I was like, but wait, the number adds up to the total number that you want. And now for this next year, you're betting on yourself that you're going to do a great job, that you're going to create value for your employer. And you're going to have the potential to get another bonus, which will then elevate you once again. But we all want the sure thing, right? Because it's like, oh, done. Then I don't have to worry about it. And then if I, if I get a little sloppy, I don't have to worry about it. And it's like, wait, and you don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to like be 100% excellent every day because sometimes our best is like a C that day. It really is, you guys. But so we had to get over all of this and she had to make choices on what was she going to use as evidence? Was she going to use like, oh, well, I got this big bonus, but it's not in my base salary as evidence that see, they don't really want me because that happens a lot with my clients at first. 
Or is she going to use it as evidence of like, okay, here's the number and look what happens when I focus and I've created this money, you know, in my savings account, because that's a big goal of mine and yay me. The other thing that we have a choice on is, are you going to bet on yourself? Are you going to create value and service for your company to be in the position to earn a raise or a bonus? You know, we often wait, we go back to being that child instead of being the adult and saying, when we're that child, what we do is we're like, oh, well, will they give it to me? You know, will they think I'm deserving versus putting ourselves out there and doing something and there's a risk. It may not happen, but really paying attention to what is of value to my company? What is of value to those above me that would then ignite a salary increase? We also have a choice to manage our brain in the stories that we choose to listen to and attach to, right? We can sit here and say, and I I was coaching somebody this week and it was the same thing. It was a, he wanted a salary increase and he's like, you know, if they don't give it to me, you know, I've worked really hard and I'm deserving. And they're then telling me I don't, they don't value me. And we had to really work on that story because then he was ready to leave. He's going to puff up and leave. And he really wants to be here for the time period. So he was going to sabotage himself, right? So we must manage our brain and the stories that we choose to attach to and listen to. So she set her goal. She increased her savings in addition to the retirement that she was already kicking butt at. And she accomplished it in the process that year. It scared her. It intimidated her. But here's the thing, my friend. Not only did she set her goal and hit that number. So this is like, I think the end of 2017, but she surpassed it by an additional $15,000. So she had this high number and then she was able to put in an additional $15,000 in there. That is amazing. So I was going through the emails to try to figure out like what, you know, remember all the facts of the stories to give you. And um, here's what she wrote to me. She's like, Corinne, with all those numbers, I want to say thank you, Corinne. I'm so thrilled with my progress when it comes to money and my overall financial health. I never would have thought I could have gotten here. Thank you so much for all your help and your coaching. I really could not have done it without you. And it feels really good to go into 2018, knowing I have you on my team. So thank you for being the coach, the life coach that you are, the one that truly helps people successfully change their life. And it was a little smiley face. It's awesome. What a yippy skippy moment for me, right? To be able to partner with her because there were lots of difficult times over the course of that year. And that's why I keep saying it's not about the fairy godmother and success doesn't look like this straight line where, oh, I do level one and then I do level two and then I do level three. I had a client this week that was like, well, Corinne, it's been two steps forward and one step back. Then another client this week that said, Corinne, it's been 10 steps forward and 10 steps back. I'm like, has it really been 10 steps back? Right? We get so good at indulging in the drama. We want those quick fixes. You know, we want the fairy godmother, bippity boppity boo. But for her, this process took a year. And then so she set new financial goals and it was scary again, but she really wanted at the same time she was moving in the process of moving and she thought she was going to be moving in with her partner and that relationship ended. So we worked on that as well. And then she wound up, you know, trying to decide what did she want in a new partner and her money stuff. And we're working on that and also her work. So the three arenas that we were working in is, you know, her financial goals, having a relationship goal with a partner and then career goals. She still wanted to be the CMO and it wasn't happening. And sometimes she get mad about it. 
and start to fondle running away and going someplace else. But then she goes, but I really like this company. I really like the work I'm doing. And so she kept learning and growing and doing the work there and doing great jobs and keynoting big conferences and getting herself in positions where she really delivered value and she was cultivating more and more trust. And here's the other thing that I have to say in this, there was also drama because there was concern of, well, maybe my CEO doesn't really respect me. Like we often ask ourselves that we have so much doubt. So if you're feeling really good about yourself and you're also feeling doubt, remember there's that Bruce Springsteen South by Southwest keynote speech where he talks about, believe you're the baddest ass in town and that you suck. We have these two cognitive dissonant beliefs in our head at the same time. It's all okay. We can check in with it. We just don't want to attach to it. Identify the areas where you may suck. It's okay. And then you can decide, is that something that you need to up-level to secure your job, to do better work? Or is it an area that you're not very good at? So like an area that I just really suck at these days is email. I'm not keeping up with email. And there are certain aspects of the email that I do need to keep up with. And I also think it's a beast that for me as a human with everything else I do, I could spend 40 hours a week on email. And so I just own that I suck at it. And I do my best to take care of the stuff that's the most important and the other stuff, I let it go. And I'm also thinking of new systems that we can create to reduce some of the email that comes to me where then I become the problem piece in the middle of it, right? So I'm working on that, but I also give myself plenty of time because I'm not willing to spend a whole bunch of time to fix this. It's not a high enough priority. I totally suck at email and I know that, but I think about all the stuff that I do and what's the most important thing and it's not in that tier. So that year we were working on her relationship. She was ending a relationship and then eventually, you know, and she was dating and all the stuff and drama that comes up with dating. And I walk through that with my clients about that. And then she wound up finding somebody and, you know, and working on being able to trust this person and not bringing the stories of the past relationship into this person because this person was very different. And by the end of the year, you know, being in this really loving, compassionate relationship with somebody else. And then she hit her financial goals and, you know, and she was worried about work, but then, you know, really delivering at work. And so then in January of 2019, three years after she had really wanted to be the CMO, guess who became the CMO? Yes, my client. It was so awesome, right? Like, and it happened. And you know, when you sometimes have like those big life goals and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess I, I got that. And you're not even really able to like, it was almost in this, from what I remember, this is a few months ago, because I'm recording this in April of 2019. And she told me this story back in January, but it was kind of pretty cavalier about it. It wasn't like, oh my God, Corinne, it finally happened. It was like, oh yeah. And did I let you know that my CEO, you know, getting, let me know that I'm getting promoted (laughs) to CMO. It was very relaxed. And now she's doing that work and realizing that she is a person who accomplishes her goals and she can do it with having lots of imperfection. There's going to be some struggle and, but she created this. So I give you these stories is that it took her over three years. And I want you to look at your own life. Like where has it taken you longer to achieve certain things that you really, really wanted in your own life? And one of the things that I think is really important for you to test out is creating an awareness of what goes on in your own patterns, 
being aware of what are your goals? Do you have specific goals? Like we got really specific about the goals that she wanted in her relationships with her money and in her job, right? And then are you sticking with them? Now for her, it was easier, especially with the money goal to stick in because she knew that at some point we'd be checking in, like, where are your financials? We didn't wait a whole year. We would check in periodically and she would send me her little spreadsheet where her numbers were. And it wasn't that I was going to do anything or there was no repercussions, but it helped her be accountable to herself. And then she could look at, was she where she wanted to be or was there a gap between where she wanted to be and where she was? And we would look at it very compassionately. And that was huge, right? Because compassion is the biggest motivator for change. And then this, this is really important because I always talk about believing to achieve. Do you believe in your ability to achieve your goals? Do you believe in your ability to achieve your goals or do you not? And then the other part is, are you willing to persevere or do you run away at the sign of difficulty? I'm so fascinated because again, I work with human performance, right? And human performance, whether it's athletically or in work situations or in relationships is how do we perform? How do we show up? What do we do? How do we get in our own way? It's people fascinate me, right? And so often it's so much easier to quit. And there are many times that I want to quit because it would be so nice until I think about the reality and I would get bored. Like, yes, I do like to watch TV, but I only have so much capacity for even that because then I start to think that they need to write me in and become the life coach of the show, right? So knowing that, are you willing to persevere? Do you run away? Are you willing to take small steps to get to where you want to go? We all want that quick fix transformation, right? You want to be like, Hey, I ate so well today and I'm going to get on the scale tomorrow and I'm going to be five pounds lighter because I am a good person. (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. You guys, right? Transformation takes time. It takes small steps of all the interviews that I've done, right? There's 600 plus shows with all that great content for you to go check out the people that have loved these amazing lives that they created for themselves. Yes, they had goals. They were aware. They're willing to be brave. Sometimes they went in reluctantly being brave. They didn't want to, but their purpose that was so important to them that it overrode some of their own fears right? And most of the time they believed in their ability. And when they didn't, because we all don't, they had support to help them believe. It's not weakness to lean on others because it's hard to believe 24 seven in certain things, especially the things that we're really going after because we're in our own transformation of who we're becoming to achieve that goal. And some of them even wanted to run away, you guys, but they stuck to it when things were difficult and they took those small steps in spite of wanting that quote, overnight success. So go and test this out for yourself. It's your turn. And remember, take the story. And I interwove a lot of different stories, but here's a person who three years ago, three and a half years ago, wanted to be CMO. She didn't get what she wanted. She wanted to quit. Then we looked at what did she really want, which was financial security. That's what she thought the job was going to give her of being CMO. She created that on her own within her current director position, right? And then she exceeded it and she kept working and working on delivering and working on learning and up-leveling her skills so she could be value of the corporation. And at the same time, there was stuff going on in her personal life with her relationships and a relationship that ended in the dating and the new relationships and going through all of those emotions and also growing and leading and challenging yourself and giving keynote talks and then getting that promotion. That my friend is what success looks like. It is this like, you know, 
get your three-year-old to draw you a picture with, and there'll be all these swirly lines. And that's what success really looks like. It's not a straight line. And that's the thing I've always liked about the show is that I've always taken you behind the green curtain when I call the wizard of Oz, right? Behind the green curtain of what we perceive as success and what really happens. And man, what we perceive as success is like the worst weapon that we use against ourselves. Cause we're like, oh yeah, look at them over there. So easy. It's like this duck syndrome. Oh, well, yeah, they just do so well and they're so happy, but we're not realizing they're frantically paddling underneath. And then we beat ourselves up and go, see, it's not possible for me. I can't have that relationship, whatever it is, this, that, or whatever job relationship money. I can't have that. And my friend, you can, you can create success in your life with your values and your priorities. And you have to get like, one of the things I'm very adamant about, I talk to parents all the time about their kids and they're like, well, if my kid can get better in swimming, I said this yesterday to a parent, they said, well, if my kid can actually ever figure this out, I'm like, what do you mean? If, of course they're going to learn how to swim. And I mean, their kid could float and be independent, but they didn't have the side breathing down. They weren't proficient. I'm like, of course it's going to happen it's not even an option. And the parents just look at me and I'm like, no, but it's true. If I can teach an 86 year old person who had trauma as a young child in a near drowning, but I can teach them when they're 86, how to swim, anybody can learn how to swim. And we need to stop selling ourselves short for that. So success it is messy. And so often people don't want to do the mess. They want it to be like, we want to get that validation, whether it's my parents who are like, Oh, see, I'm doing the right thing. My kid loves to swim. They get in the water. I don't have to have any shame triggers because their swimming is so beautiful. And and they do exactly what the coach says. And there's this model child. That is not how it works right? What happens is the kid's not listening. They're not blowing bubbles, their head's underwater. And I'm working on ways to engage them to get across the pool. And that's constantly happening at every level of swimming on the competitive side. We don't think like what gets people into a lot of troubles. They think, oh, once once I'm coaching this group, then I won't have any problems. Once I'm coaching this group, I won't have, it's all the same problems because we're all humans. So with that, my friend, success looks like a squiggly line up and down, oftentimes self-sabotage. But if you keep on going, keep on taking those small steps, that's what success looks like. Throw out that straight line, throw out that quick overnight success. We hear this all the time, but we are so resistant to believing that we're like, no, no. Yeah, of course there's no overnight success. But then what do we want? Overnight success. That should happen right now. Why didn't happen yesterday? What's wrong with me? I'm not good enough. I might as well just give up. Why even do it? Right. That's the drama in our head. So go out and create success in your life. I am smiling big for you. And if you want, listen into the, my talk about the enough that's coming up, get on the list. Cause I'm going to be opening it soon. Take care. Hey, I hear from so many listeners, how much this show resonates in their lives. And if you're one of those people, you have to come check out enough. It's my group coaching program where we take all the tools and practices that I discuss here and we apply it in our real life with support and accountability. We will integrate these tools into your life. So by the end of our time together, you are actually living them in your bones. It's not just something that's in a book that you'll eventually get to to read. It's not just something that one day, it's now. And the delightful bonus 
for you is that there's going to be a safe community with others to connect and thrive and belong so that you can become enough. Check it out at howshereallydoesit.com forward slash enough. That's howshereallydoesit.com forward slash enough. I'd love to have you join us in enough. The next enrollment period opens April 2019. Looking forward to having you in enough. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.